think we're set. Let's do it. Well, fuck. Let's cheers. Cheers. It's good, yeah. What is this? No, it's some type of Belgian blonde or something like that. I like uh I like blonde beers. Yeah, this is a, this is my favorite. It's real spicy. I think we both kinda blend in with the couch. That's kinda funny. I know. Alright, man. So how you been? Good, dude. Um Things have been busy since since I got back from the short Thanksgiving trip. It was pretty busy when I was back back home actually because I was in I was in Philly for a little while and then I was in I was on the beach for a bachelor party, which wasn't really a bachelor party. It was just golfing, but it was still nice. Yeah. And then spent about a week with my family and now back to it since I've been back in L.A. But it's good to be back. Yeah. And you were gone for how long? Two weeks. Two weeks. Did you feel um, happy? Like, did, there's a different feeling. I feel like being—I haven't been to the East Coast very much, but just being in Minnesota feels a lot different than being here. Yeah, yeah. So originally, I didn't—I wasn't excited to go home because. So I grew up in Western Maryland. Um, there's nothing to do there. I'm like surrounded by like cows and farms and stuff like that. Um, but <laughs> that's like, you know, where my family is and it's really just my immediate family. So I don't really consider home a place. It's like wherever my family's at. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't excited to go back home for that exact reason. It's like, I'm going back. There's nothing to do. Like things are still kind of closed down. It's, it's more open in Maryland right now than it is in LA. Yeah. Um, but I got on the flight and I fell asleep the first hour and I woke up and I just felt like so peaceful. It was so nice. And then I felt that the majority of the time that I was home and kind of carried that back with me. And I think it was because before when I'm well, when I moved out here, I didn't have a I mean, I was staying with a friend. I was like yep. sleeping on a couch for like four months. Yeah. Um, and I, I came back and I knew I was coming back to like my place, not something that was like shifting. You know? Yeah. So I think that's part of the reason as well. But yeah, it felt a lot more peaceful. It was it was nice to see my family. Um, I hadn't seen them since May, so yeah. Oh, dude. Um, and you're saying you fell asleep on the way back to Maryland or back to LA? Back to Maryland. Back to Maryland. Yeah. Were you excited to come back? Yeah, dude, very excited. And also, just like you know, this this place that I have is incredible, and just being able to have my own space that's entirely mine Mm -hmm. and I'm completely responsible for it. And it's like, you know, I get to keep it clean. I don't have to worry about anyone else. It's Mm -hmm. just like great peace of mind. And also like, I'm like building out of this workspace. Like Mm -hmm. this is my office. So yeah, to live work. Yeah. It'll get stacky a little bit. Um, usually it doesn't last too long. So sorry to everyone listening as well. If you hear that, (laughs) (laughs) um, we'll have to upgrade as the show upgrades, but, not people, of course. The first two guests have been fucking fantastic, honestly. My conversation with Anton was exactly what I envisioned in my head, and uh, I'm sure it'll be the same with you because yeah. I have so much. I'd like to, to ask you and just um, get to know you better. But So with that, uh, I guess just tell me, because, again, we haven't known each other very long. Yeah. Um, at all and um, 
So just tell me more about how you grew up, uh, where you came from, and yeah, man, your your experiences growing up and, and as a child and your childhood, all on the East Coast, right? Yeah, all on the East Coast. So for the listeners, for the audience, uh, those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Nico DeGrange. Um, I am a bunch of things, but I guess at the core, I'm just a creator, uh, which sounds very stereotypical, yeah. very cliche to say, but, um, I, uh, I'll, I'll just give, I'll, I'll give everyone a little bit of background about myself and, and fill you in a little bit more. We've had, we've had this, some of this conversation before, yeah. but for you guys listening, yeah. feel free um, to repeat whatever you've told me. I'd like up, to hear it again anyways. Okay. Yeah. I grew up in uh, Western Maryland. Um, like I said, my neighbors were cows, um, <laughs> had a lot of land. I was best friends with my little brother, Alex, three years younger than me, but being so far out, it gave me a lot of time to just like, um, be creative. And, you know, we didn't grow up in a neighborhood. So, um, it was me and Alex doing a lot of stuff and I was playing a lot of sports. So like, you know, we were outside a lot, like riding motorcycles, riding ATVs, riding golf carts, doing all kinds of stuff kids love to do outdoors um but there's a lot of uh my my hometown for as small and insignificant as it is it's very corrupt um the drug trade is like rampant there because it's where two major interstates cross 70 and 81 so all of the drugs that are coming um from latin or south america in through miami are coming up and then my hometown is like a stopover uh between New York and then DC or the West Coast. So all of that traffic is there. Um, and there's a lot of wannabe rich corruption. I really felt it in school. Um, there was a lot of politics in sports and just anything you could think of. If there was a parent that had a kid in some organization, they were going to fin- finagle their way to get their kid to the top. And I was like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a part of that. My parents weren't going to be a part of that, yeah. like trying to manipulate me into an organization that I wanted to be in, whether it was for just like school basketball or little league baseball. And like, as ridiculous as that sounds, like that's how deep seated it was like little league baseball. Everyone was like trying to get their kid to the top. It was about like who was putting yeah. the most money into the fundraisers and things like that. Are so, you saying you felt the corruption from drugs in the sports of the school? It, it wasn't just the corruption of drugs. It was just like the, it was just like the heart of corruption in general. Yeah, like everything that, was kind of that deep. You can buy whatever desire for, for, uh, money and recognition and ego. Um, and it's funny because like nobody's ever heard of my hometown and it's not somewhere where rich people go to live so it's like a lot of people who are like self-inflated in their own mind so anyways i see this growing up and i'm like kind of appalled by it really and i saw that people didn't practice what they preach so i was always like looking to get out i was like you know i want to go somewhere else and 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 do something i wanted to to design cars when i was little um so i went to school for engineering at drexel uh that's in Philly, right next to UPenn's campus. And when I went away, I was like a fairly, I wouldn't say I was a rule follower, but I wasn't like a rebellious child growing yeah. up. Uh, like I always like to find my own way, but I wouldn't intentionally rebel just for you the sake of it. You had fun, but yeah, you yeah. weren't just trying to like get 
in trouble and yeah. fuck shit up. When I went to school, I just went wild. Like it Drexel? Was, yeah, it was like the first time that I had any type of like influence over people and had such a great group of friends who were also very influential people. And within just a few weeks of being a freshman there, like we had we had like ins with all of like the seniors and the upperclassmen and the fraternities and we hadn't even joined in any of these things. So it was it was like I kinda got like a the thing that I despised growing up, I kind of got like a dose of that when I went to schools, like that self-inflated ego. Like, yeah. oh, I was actually more important than I was. Yeah. Um, did terrible in school the first year. Almost lost my scholarship. And I was like, I can't go back home uh, because there's nothing there for me. And like, I'm I'm not going back to that. Um, Same failing out. Yeah. Wasn't an option in your head. Yeah. So, uh really like fought my way back to the top of the ladder um, academically, which was just awful. So stressful because I had no wiggle room whatsoever. Yeah. Um, ended up moving to Singapore when I was 20 and I worked for a robotics company. Bro, talk um, about that. Because that in my mind, I have obviously no experience with that. I'm not even someone who maybe someday I will, but dives into robotics yeah. on YouTube or anything. So... What the hell was that like? Um, it was, it was really eye-opening. Uh, so, at that point, I had changed my major from mechanical engineering to business and engineering, which was like a special cross-discipline that only handful of universities do, yeah. where it's like, it's an equal amount of study in engineering and business. So, when I got this co-op, um, I was business and sales development and tech support. So I had to know how to code the robots and like provide tech support on the spot to clients. But I also had to be able to like sell it and just like know the full product. I had to be the jack of all trades. Yeah. And the third day I was there, um, I hadn't met my general manager yet, but she calls me into her office and she's like, look, you're not an intern, you're a full-time employee and you're gonna be responsible for projects. There's only eight people on the team, so we all have multiple responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And if you can't handle being in charge of people and, and you know being a full-time employee, then I'm sorry, but we're gonna to have to find somebody else. And I was like, well, I like this lady. Like, this isn't yeah. something that you, that you normally hear, but I, was, I welcome the responsibility. Um, butted heads with my supervisor a lot. Um, because I was like a a proud like little kid. I really was at the time. Um, but the culture shock was actually worse coming back f to the United States than it was moving to Singapore. Mm -hmm. It definitely took some time to get integrated. But I started to realize, I was like, you know, that the way that I see the world, the way that I understand it, you know, I felt so wise because I could see things that other people couldn't my mm -hmm. age or even older. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I know how the world works, blah, blah, blah. And then I moved to Singapore where everything was like completely flipped upside down mm -hmm. and I wasn't as important anymore. And mind you, like when I was little, I always wanted to move to a foreign country and start from scratch, like with nothing and knowing no one. Create your life there or just for a little bit? Just, um, I, I think it was just like the excitement of like adventure. Yeah. So it, I don't know if it would be like creating a life there, but creating a life there yeah. not an entire like an entire lifetime there but creating a life there 
Um, so when I moved to Singapore when I was 20, I did exactly that. I had like $500 to my name. I hadn't. I moved before I got employed, and um, I didn't know anyone. And after the fifth day of like not meeting people and like going around and realizing how expensive Singapore was, I was like, dang, I think I made a mistake. Like, mm-hmm. and there was one night when I was like really considering just flying back, like just like asking to borrow money from my parents and then booking a flight back and then just getting something in the states back in Philly because it sucked so bad and I was like you know I might there was this thought that I was like forced to grapple with before I went to sleep and it was like you may never get this opportunity again and I was too afraid of what my life would look like after having having got such an amazing opportunity as a 20 year old to just like say no and like throw that away because I was too scared so I was terrified and I was like you know what I'm just gonna like embrace the suck pretty much for the next seven months and like I'm probably not going to meet anyone and this is probably going to be a terrible time but like I committed to this I'm going to stick with it and it was almost like when I honored the the commitment that I made I started meeting people mm-hmm. like within 24 48 hours after that and they weren't just like you know any people they were like like one of the first girls I met there was an independent journalist for all of Southeast Asia so she had ins to all the bars and the clubs so if she would she would like text me or the girl that I was dating at the time and just be like, Hey, um, so-and-so or this club or, or this bar is like having, uh, an event tonight and I'm supposed to be journaling. I'm not going to go, I'm going to go another night, but just let me know. And I can get you a table and a bottle just like that free of charge. Yeah. Cause she so, was supposed to be there. She would just give you her, her split and her spot. Yeah. So oh, I dope. didn't pay for, <laughs> I didn't pay for club entry and I didn't pay for bottles or alcohol and like period at all when I was in Singapore. Damn. Like when we would go out with a group of people or if it was like me and the girl I was dating and maybe one another one of her friends. So like that's a 20 year old's dream. Yeah. And she knew everyone who was everyone. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like anyone who is relevant in like the club see, uh, scene or like the bar scene or like uh, I wouldn't exactly call them influencers, but they were more like mm, they were more like actual famous people. Like local kind of fame? No. Um, like uh, Miss Universe. Yeah. Um, people like that. Uh, people who like were high up in the business world who were also in the club world. Like yeah. they knew those people. And it seemed like anyone who was anyone knew all of those people. Okay. So it's so kind I of a tight knit group yeah. of higher status, you could say, people. Yeah. And I got like almost sucked into that yeah as soon as i embraced that i was like you know what these next seven months are gonna suck and it turned out not to be um i ended up dating a girl who's a famous dj over there which i didn't know mm-hmm. that she was a famous dj until after we had started dating so that was also a huge plus but you know for like a 20 year old this was mind-blowing this is like what people write about like that's like uh, that's like clickbait right there like, yeah this is what people like try to 20 year old american goes to singapore yeah meets and dates famous whatever but at the same time <laughs> i could go to a mcdonald's or a restaurant or, or just like anything like i specifically remember this one time after this had happened multiple times and i was getting really really pissed off i went to a mcdonald's and um there was a older chinese guy who was behind the counter and I was waiting in this really long line because I was on Sentosa Island, which is a more touristy island. Yeah. 
and there were like other um like Singapore is such a melting pot of ethnicities and there were like some other people behind me who weren't white and he didn't even acknowledge me he just called the next lady in line and then he called the next guy in line and I was like I was like getting like impatient and I was like you know what? I'm not gonna say anything and he did it for the third time and I literally just like yelled in the middle of the McDonald's I was like are you joking me right now yeah. like I've been standing here for this amount of time like you were in the front right yeah clearly in front of these other people yeah yeah, yeah 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 and he like never acknowledged me never made eye contact with me once and i tried to go up and he wouldn't serve me and it was like the first time where i was like i i called my best friend eric um who's first generation uh, well his parents are from togo and congo so he's first generation american with from african descent and i was like bro i really really feel what it means to like be discriminated towards and you know as a it's not that i didn't have empathy before but i realized like i'm not important whatsoever Mm -hmm. and there was like this there there was like this um there's almost like this false sense of pride that like lurks in the hearts of people who aren't discriminated against when they're like oh there's no such thing as privilege and this and that i was like i'm really not as important as i think i am and i don't even feel like i'm very prideful or like i have a big ego but i started to recognize like i did have an issue and it was really stemming from those first two years of college when i felt like really accepted and like almost like idolized by certain people they were like yo who is this kid and i never felt that before because i was like really rejected in like middle and high school. Um, So it was like a complete 180. And I was like, I have like a heart issue that I need to work on. So there were a couple things that were going on when I was in in Singapore. There was like the, there was the social issues and like, you know, uh, having a lot of like really influential and famous, famous friends. Um, And then there were the financial issues. I had more money than I had ever had. and my parents were really like really adamant on me being financially independent. They were like, if you want to buy stuff, like you pay for it, you mm-hmm. get a job, you do this. So I started working when I was 15, just as like a, a lifeguard over the summer so that I had money to buy things for. Um, and then like saved up a ton of money for when I went to school and like wasn't smart with it at all and like blew it all away, paid for my rent basically from sophomore year until I graduated. Um, But when I was in Singapore, I had more money than I ever had. It was like a wire transfer, just like went straight to my bank account and I had like 15 grand on the spot. And I remember going into like the Louis Vuitton store and I was like, yo, I could buy these. I could buy these (laughs) loafers right now. Like they're a grand, but like don't look down on me because I have the money now. And I, I felt like, almost like a sense of power that came with that. And I was like, no, that's a stupid decision. Like I could go travel to like Bali or Thailand mm-hmm. for a grand and have a way better time. And why, why did you have so much money? Because the, um, the exchange so, rate was less or you're saying you literally just had more so us the, dollars. The exchange rate was one thing. Yeah. Um, the, the co-op didn't pay much because international internships don't usually, but they yeah. paid enough to pay my rent exactly every single month yeah and then uh, there was a scholarship that i got going there 
it was like $10,000 for anyone who was uh, working in Southeast Asia from oh. like some specific family that had a grant at Drexel just for, for Southeast Asia. Oh. So $10,000 wide transfer to my bank. Um, but that didn't hit until, because like I said, I moved there with $500. I moved before I got employed. So it didn't hit until like maybe three weeks later. Mm-hmm. So I felt like this inflated sense of self, self-importance. So there was like that that also like that personal um i guess like emotional there were these emotional issues that started surfacing so all of this stuff was like happening all at once and then on top of that like there was this really powerful moment that i had with god when i was in singapore that really like dramatically shifted the rest of my life from that yeah. point on i want to i want them to hear this um can you just talk a little closer to the yeah mic? i'm not i just i want to make sure it gets picked up yeah well. yeah for you you're good though okay um <laughs> so yeah the all of this stuff was happening and then i'll wait till that passes yeah all of this stuff was happening and uh you know as a 20 i turned 21 while i was there and it didn't feel like a traditional 21 yeah like you know 21st birthday, birthday celebration. because i could start drinking as soon as i got there mm-hmm. um after Singapore, I know that was kind of long-winded, but after Singapore... Bro, you can be as long, uh, long-winded as you want. I was building a business at the time. I started when I was a sophomore. It was uh, green technology, um, like renewable energy engine that I had built. And uh, I moved back to Philly, and I didn't have a place to stay. So I used the remaining three grand that I had. From like, the grant? From Singapore? Yeah, from the grant and from... from uh, Working? From working. Yeah. So I was like, instead of buying a place or like, you know, renting a place, because I was going to, I was getting ready to, to study in Germany um, in June. So I came, or the end of June. So I came back, the, I flew back the 1st of April and classes started the 2nd of April. I went home. I got the like the family van that we had yep. and I drove it up to Drexel and I was like I'm just I'll probably be here for like two weeks and you know I'll, I'll, I'll find something like I'm sure there's somebody who will like I didn't want to like impose on anyone so I didn't want to impose on like any college I don't even know what narrative I had in my head I was like oh maybe I can find like a benefactor or a beneficiary who who's going to be like oh yeah like you're building this business like you can stay at my place in the meantime I don't know what I was thinking, but that's what I was thinking. So, <laughs> so it was like really a long shot. And, and, um, I started to realize, so at that time I was really like sucked into like this motivation, like hustle hard. Like you, if you just do it, it just, it's just going to happen culture. Yep. And it sounds amazing. Like yep. I was listening to like way too much Jim Rohn and Tony Robbins and Les Brown. And I was like, yes, I can make, I control my destiny. I can make this happen. And when I was in the car, I had to wake up at six every morning. Cause I had 8 AM uh, three days a week. And then on the other two days I had 9 AM. So I had to make sure my schedule was the same every single day. I was yeah. like keeping super disciplined. And over time, I was just getting worn down, worn down, worn down. So, like, by the end of the second week, I was, like, I'm no closer to finding a place to stay. Yep. And, I like, I'm trying to lay low, but, like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Because I still had 10 weeks of school left after that. And um, 
my friend Eric was like, yo, you can stay at my place. And I was like, I, I kind of fell back into that mentality of like, no, you suffered through this. Like you committed to this, you do it now. It's not yeah. about, you know, like I'm not going to impose on somebody else. I'm not going to like, like uh, work off of the back of somebody else's. Yeah. You wanted to go through the struggle to kind of thinking, okay, this is going to make me stronger. Yeah. Let me, let me almost prove to myself, maybe I can get through this and I can do exactly what I think I can do. Yeah. So yeah, I on feel that. one front, it was great that I committed, but oh, shit. <laughs> it wasn't actually a smart move at all mm -hmm. because it threw me in this like intellectual, emotional void that I couldn't get out of for like almost a year and a half. Like I was like seriously messed up after like living, living in a car for three months and like working full time and also going to school full time. Like I was taking, I think 18 or 19 credits at the time mm. over the course of 12 weeks, I was preparing to go to Germany and London. And you're doing engineering classes. Yeah. Which I, um, yeah. And then I was also building, uh, I was also building a, uh, a company. Yeah. And it was all hardware. So it was just you. It was me and one of my friends who was like the main engineer, even though I had designed and engineered all the technology, I was like starting to learn what it meant to like delegate tasks and things yeah. like that instead of trying to like handle all the responsibility myself. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know what that looked like. You know, mm -hmm. I was only 21 and I didn't really have a clear idea of what was going on. I didn't have much money to spare. Like I ate one, I literally ate one meal a day. I would go to Chipotle and I get lunch and I get a huge burrito and then yeah. I eat half of it. Yeah. And then if I needed anything in the morning, I just go to Trader Joe's and I get like a box of cereal, maybe like bananas if I was in the mood mm -hmm. because I could like leave them in the car in the shade. Um, and then uh, instead of like going out and buying Starbucks, I like coffee in the morning, I would get like the cold brew concentrate yep. and then I would put a little bit of it in my blender bottle and then I would pour water in it and yep. I would make it last for as long as I needed to. So yeah. I was like really skimping and it sucked dude because I would go to the gym in the morning and sometimes it'd be way too crowded and I couldn't, if I, I needed to take a shower after yeah, I worked that's out. That's what I was gonna ask, where'd you shower? Yeah, so I'd shower in the gym every morning and if I couldn't get in the shower, like if, if the line was too long, then I'd miss, I'd be late for my first class if I, if I took a shower. So some days I would have to wait and I have to go back and shower, which would throw my entire day off because yeah. I was like so strict with the timing of everything. Trying to keep so it consistent. really started to mess me up. And I started to realize like all of my friends who, who I don't want to say said that they were my friends, but acted like my friends were nowhere to be found when I was like in this really, really tough time. So a lot of people, they'd see me and they'd be like, Oh, like, I haven't seen you in so long. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like laying low. I'm getting ready to, I just came back from Singapore. I'm getting ready to go to Germany soon. And this like, is back at Drexel, right? Yeah. Where you felt before you were kind of yeah. the shit. Yeah. And yeah, and you weren't feeling like that anymore. You were seeing the same people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was really interesting because they were like so life-giving as soon as they, like, as soon as they saw me. But then they were like, oh, like, where are you staying? And, I'm, and I was like always hesitant because I didn't want people to feel pity for me. Yeah. Uh, because I did this to myself, but I was like, oh, like some people I'd be like, oh, you know, I'm just down that way. Like I'm staying like on this street or like wherever my car was. Yeah, parked. you wouldn't tell them you were in the car. But the people who I thought were my close friends, I'd be like, oh, I'm living out of my car for a little bit. And they would be like, what? Are you serious? Like, no, you can't do that. Like mm -hmm. you're going to school. Like you need a place to stay. Like 
it's it's gonna get hot soon because it was yeah. in the spring um like why don't you just come stay at my place just text me and let me know like i have a couch or i have an extra bed and eric let me stay at his place one night it was too hot another night uh on the other nights it was too hot i would go into the building that i used to work at uh like a residential building and i'd go because i knew everyone in the building i'd go into the loft and i'd sleep in a chair at night yeah and then um like one of the like most memorable random acts of kindness anyone ever did there was a there was a girl who i was good friends with and she was moving out it was like almost end of the term i think i had like a week left and it was way too hot to sleep in the car and I didn't want to go all the way back on the other side of campus to like sleep in a chair. I was like, I have a final tomorrow. Like I really need to get some rest. She was like, I'm sorry, but, um, but like I, I can't, but you can, I, I can text my friend. She has an extra couch that you could probably sleep on. And I hadn't met this girl like maybe once or twice. Mm-hmm. And she was like, this girl, I gave this girl your number. Like she's going to text you. And I was like, she's probably going to say no. Yeah. Like if, if my good friend said no, like she's probably not going to say Yes. And she actually texted me and she was like, Hey, if you can come in like the next 15, 30 minutes, like I can like let you in and like you can sleep on the couch and then Mm -hmm. just pack up your stuff in the morning and head to your final. Like it's no big deal. And I was like blown away, like how kind she was because all these people who were like, Oh, I can do this for you. I can do that for you. Like nowhere to be found. They, they would text me back like two or three days later. They're like, Oh, sorry. I just read this text message or, Oh my bad. Like I didn't get the text. So they would offer like a place to stay and then just not follow through basically. And that that was happening. Yeah. Hmm. So damn, I get to the end of this. Clearly not your real friends, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, I got bitter at first, but I, what I realized in time was that I was changing. Yeah. And part of the reason I was scared to go back to school was because like I had this, like I said, I had this really, kind of terrifying encounter with God. Um, And I was just like, I just don't feel like I'm the same person anymore. Like I was down to like wild out, Mm -hmm. do whatever. Like I I write about like the stories, I should say the memories that I have in my book, Mm -hmm. The One Who Follows. um, And they're like, fantastical like they're pretty ridiculous and i was like just encountering these times like these these experiences time and time again but when i came back from singapore i was like i really i actually don't want to do that and it wasn't because i was trying to change who i was like i actually just felt different so the term wraps up after sleeping in the car never found a place to stay so that was 10 weeks that was 12 weeks fuck never found a place to stay uh, my, the business that we were building, I finally filed the patent, which was like a huge win because we had a little bit more protection of our IP. Mm-hmm. Um, but every time we would like go into an investor meeting, um, we would either get laughed out because they would be like, oh, that's not possible. Or they'd be like, oh, we need more information, but we couldn't give away like the Your secrets. Yeah. Like we were, we were between like a rock and a hard place because like we had this proprietary technology and like we were building a prototype. Theoretically it was going to work and the prototype we had working, but not to like full capacity. And, um, we kept like running into just like really small problems. Like, 
three times in a row they shipped us the wrong part mm. and then my um my uh friend who was the engineer um got shingles like really bad like what old people get but he like got what? it on his face bro. <laughs> what so he missed all his midterms so then he had to spend like weeks eight and nine making up midterms and then skipping class and preparing for his final so he had no time to, to run any tests on it and he was getting really discouraged because we were both running out of money and the plan was we were going to defer our final co-op yeah and see if we could get uh um like permission from the school to like run the business and we were going to go up to new york because it was close to all of the suppliers that we needed and like all of the materials that we needed um so he was getting really discouraged and then i was like dude just like we're just like you just need to stay positive through all this like this is really tough we were gonna i went to germany um i went early it rained for the entire week i thought i was going to be able to meet people wrong and i thought it was going to be like singapore totally wrong i was in a country where the language the main language wasn't english which was like a huge change for me and it kind of made it stressful the main language in Singapore was English? Yeah. Okay, so I didn't know that. Um, I had maybe one or two calls with my friend when I was in Germany over the course of five weeks, and then I only had one call the seven weeks that I was in London. And I went to London, and I knew that it was over before it was over. I was, like, really trying to make things work. Same with your own company? Yeah. Uh, school kind of just like flew by. I had a good friend that I stayed with in Germany that I didn't meet until I got out there. He was just, he just became a good friend of mine. Um, and Germany was kind of, Germany was kind of healing after living in the car for such a long time because I was meeting a lot of new people and they weren't just like American kids. Like we yeah. were, we were in a group of like kids from all over the world and they were like kind of weird, but they were interesting. Yeah. So it was nice. And I wasn't, I had scholarship money again, so I wasn't completely like fending for myself all over again. Um, but I had to be like really strict with like how much money I would spend on food like I couldn't go out like the rest of the kids could as much as the rest of the kids could because my parents weren't like providing for like I couldn't I couldn't be like hey can I have some money because mm -hmm. I'm going to study abroad and then you know go spend $200 over the course of a week and a half on like clubs and bars yeah they'd be like no we're not giving you $200 to go out drinking yeah um, or like go out clubbing or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then it, it was funny because they'd be like, Oh, like you need to get out and like have some more experiences. I was like, I don't know what you want me to do. Like <laughs> I can't go out because I don't have any money. So yeah. I, I used what I had sparingly and I still had a good time, mm -hmm. but I was really focused. I was like, I don't care about going out so much as I do building this business. Like I need to set my future up for myself. Not only like my dream to build cars and things like that, but also to, to make an impact, to feel like I have purpose, and also to like set myself up financially. I was not enjoying school at all. I really wanted to drop out, but I knew if I did, like my mom would kill me, um, because like you know if the business didn't work out and I dropped out of school, like I was going to be working to put myself back in school. Yeah. Um, and so this business was it incorporated or like did it tie in with designing cars? Um. Yeah, so that I originally built the engine because I knew that you can't just start a car company from scratch. 
Okay, and so was it was like, a clean engine? Because you said yeah. it was clean energy, right? I was like, if I wasn't I, thinking cars. If I have technology that can power a car cleanly, yeah. then I can build my own cars if I want to. Yeah. Um, but we started off smaller. It was just clean, renewable energy. Like whether it was used as a generator, whether it was used as in, like in a car, or a motorcycle, whatever. So you're just trying to get it at the ground level, yeah. level and then scale it up to being cars yeah and and as time went on like i realized i lost the whole purpose as Mm -hmm. to why i was doing it um when i was in london my friend my realtor in new york because we were looking to get in a place that was going to be like our office and our living space um he was like hey your your friend your engineer has not texted me or called me in like the last two months i don't know this is while you're abroad and he's dealing with that back home yeah he's like uh, i don't know what's going on uh like let me know what you want to do and i was like dude it's it's over like i just knew i had this mm-hmm. like dreadful feeling like i was going to be going back i had i had missed both rounds a and b for co-op so all of the good jobs were gone and co-op yeah just for everybody from midwest co-op or at least where I, where I went to school is just an internship yeah so east coast i don't know is that common in yeah. east coast co-op yeah. uh no it's not common in east coast um it's just usually it's just usually like internships. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of the same thing. So he, I like was calling him and texting him. I called my realtor. I was like, uh, I'll just talk to you. Like I'll just, I'll plan to just do this by myself. And then my friend, he texts me back like two weeks later. He's like, Hey dude, sorry. Can't do this anymore. Life is just like hitting too hard right now. Like I have a girlfriend, like school's fun. Like I kind of just want to enjoy it. Like, why don't we just pick this back up after, Mm. after school, like after we graduate. And I was like, I completely understood him. And I was just like, all right, man, well, thanks for like letting me know. And then I really tried to like hustle to, to get everything together to work. And it just like failed miserably. I ran out of money when I was in London, like got, terrified that i wasn't going to have enough money to uh get on the tube to get to the airport to fly back home like i was really terrified like i was searching frantically through everything i Uh, I didn't have any money left i didn't realize i had spent the rest of it i was just like so focused on other things i've been there and um found like just enough to cover the fare to get back to the to the airport and uh get a drink get a coffee in the morning oh, I so gonna, i thought you were no, gonna be <laughs> no 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 uh i ended up taking a job in new york i was like yep. void of life honestly like i was like you're kind of down in your luck i was really like there i was like very like probably the closest to suicidal i'd ever been really? and my mom's a psychologist and i remember t- her telling me like growing up like yeah people get depressed and i was like i just don't understand how people get depressed like there's yeah. got to be something to like live for and um i always had that like one thing to live for like my dreams are what got me through really hard times like when i felt really rejected by like my peers at school my dreams were like the things that were the brighter days yeah, you spent your me. time on that you focused and, like, on that i yeah so i put everything in this vessel that didn't exist that was going to exist one day and that vessel ended up being this company which i didn't realize all those years earlier all of my hopes, all of my dreams were in this vessel and literally somebody just like popped the bubble Fuck. and I fell out of it. And, um, I was just like, there's, there's no point to anything. 
I was like really, really depressed. And my parents were like, you should just like look in the last round. And I was like, I'm not going to get a job. Like, of the just, co-ops? Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to go back to Philly or something. I was like, but I don't want to be back in Philly at all. And I don't want to, I'm definitely not staying here in Hagerstown, which is my hometown. I see this job. It's like, it's in the sales division for a fashion company. And I was like, this is the only thing that is like remotely interesting because it's like, uh, you know, I'll be in a creative industry. Apply for the job. Didn't think I was going to get it. I applied with 10 minutes left before the round closed. If I would have like waited any longer, like it would have just been done and I wouldn't have, have had like any chance to apply through those jobs. And I would have had to probably just like get a part-time job on my own. Yeah. Um, they interview me. And I'm like, I literally don't even care about this job. I don't even really want it. Like, you know, like I was just doing something way more important. And that that pride came yeah. back. I was like, I'm smarter than you people. And I, I'm doing something more significant than you people. And I don't care what you're doing. I, I Like, I really don't whatsoever. And they like, uh, well, I didn't say that in the interview. Yeah, but like, that was, my, that was my attitude towards it. And they loved me. And then... <laughs> <laughs> they oh, isn't it weird? Like, literally the things you don't give a fuck about sometimes yeah are so much easier to get yeah so um i get the second interview and i feel the same way about it i'm like i literally don't even care if if i don't get it i'm probably not going to get it anyways like the second interview is when they like usually roast you and cut you short yeah i was like don't care and they were like yeah so um you're gonna start this was on a friday they were like you're gonna start on monday in in manhattan and you work at the Empire State Building, so be here Monday at 9 a.m. And I was like, what's my salary? And they were like, oh, $15 an hour. I was like, no. I was like, my salary's not $15 an hour. I was like, what can you do to give me a raise? Literally, because I, I didn't want the job. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were like, sorry, we can't give interns raises. I was like, okay, well, you can give me a raise. <laughs> I was like, I was like, there's gotta be like, you know, I can't live in Manhattan or Brooklyn for that price. Oh, fuck no. And you just came from probably the other place who was telling you as an intern, you're not an intern. <laughs> so that's probably even just in your mentality yeah. if you recognize it or not. Like, yeah, I'm not so, a fucking intern. Exactly. So <laughs> they were like, no, sorry. Like you can either take it or leave it. And I was like, all right, fine, whatever. So I, I update my search in Manhattan because I was looking like in the 1500s I was like you know if I'm making like at least $18 an hour I'm so used to like living off of like chicken and rice mm. and like you know I lived out of the van I can be extremely frugal I can have a kind of nice place and they just not, not spend much I'm not trying to go out to the bars or anything yep. like I wasn't in a an, in the headspace to like go out and meet people so I start looking for a place and I find a place literally the day before I need to go to work my mom drove up to Delaware with me and we looked around for places Friday afternoon because I had the interview Friday morning. She drove up. We drove up Friday afternoon. We looked for places Friday afternoon and then Saturday. And I found the place Saturday evening at like five or six o'clock. And um, I wasn't sure I was going to take it. I was like, this is really nice. It was on the corner of Soho and Chinatown. So like Lower East Side, amazing spot. Fifth story walk up. And... Um, both of the, the, the landlord lived there, but like he said, he was never really there. And then my other roommate, she was like a scientist or something. So she was never really there. And I was, it was like 1100 bucks. And I was like, you know, what? I think I'm going to go. I, I visited one more place after that. It was like 1500 and it was filthy. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to go with this. 
I ended up getting that place and I worked, I go to work and the lady who interviewed me was so nice, but like, she just, I don't know. It was like, she was like an employee who had been at a company for a really long time. And she was like, I know that I'm protected. So I'm not going to do like my best work all the time. Yep. And that pissed me off so much because I had done so much hard work and I, I saw it like all come crashing down. So like, I really like, I didn't despise her, but I was appalled by like her mentality. But I could also see at the same time, like if you get into an industry that you're not super passionate about and you know, like this isn't really what you had in mind for your life and you just kind of get like sucked into this world where you're, you, you have enough money to pay for everything that you could possibly want in life. Like all of the other exterior wantings are fulfilled. Yep. Then you just lose purpose and you don't work hard anymore so she was lazy but secure she was great at talking to people and she could get sales but she didn't do any of the work to follow through with that yeah and was she supposed to or was there sales support oh, yeah, yeah no, she's she supposed, she supposed to, to. <laughs> your yeah, face she, was supposed to. she didn't do so, shit did she so no but she was amazing she was a, like an amazing saleswoman yeah. um so i had to work even though she wasn't my supervisor, my supervisor, I was actually on paper, the sales co-op to the senior vice president of the entire company. Yep. So, but she was like, you know, out of reach. And I saw her the first two days. And after my co-op in Singapore, I was ready to just like jump right in. Like I wasn't expecting to just like sit around, like other interns, even during the time that I was there, like when they ran out of work, like they didn't say anything. Yeah. And, I, and I actually noticed that was the case with, so I didn't see that in, in Singapore because I was the only intern in the office. Yeah. Everyone else was a full-time employee, but because I was treated like a full, full-time employee and I had the responsibility of one, I didn't even see like what the interim looked like. Yeah. So I saw a lot of people in, because this company was so insanely large, like just, Imagine like any possible clothing brand that you possibly like you can fathom the company I worked for was like that parent company. Yeah. You were telling um, me that. Yeah. They own Calvin Klein, yeah. Kenneth Cole, Fry Boots, Spider, Juicy Couture, uh, Ellen Tracy, um, Buffalo, New York, like just crazy. And you stumbled, just fucking coach, stumbled right into that. Yeah. Like, and, and the parent company to the company that I worked for that we actually worked really close with as far as like, uh, fabric supplies, they supply to every clothing company in the world. Yeah. Like Zara was like technically one of our parent companies. They were like our competitor, yep. but they were a client of our parent company. So like a almost sibling yeah Rivalry. so it was, it was it was pretty cool like what what guidelines we could use to um like they might do something that's fast fashion kind of like h&m yep and then we can use something even though we're not technically a sister company but we're both clientele and we were the company we were a client and a subsidiary of the of that parent company we could like use their designs but not to the t and then sell it to like, uh, I don't know, like JC Penney or something yeah. like that. As long as it wasn't too close. Like as long as we weren't going to catch a lawsuit, we could do that. Yeah. So it was really interesting to see like what could be recycled and reused because Zara pushes insane numbers, but so does uh, JC Penney. So does Saxon Fizz. So does Nordstrom. Like, yeah, did you do Kohl's? 
uh, yeah, Coles wasn't in my division, but yeah. we had Coles as a buyer. Yeah. So we, instead of supplying to just like one clientele, I don't want to say one clientele, but like, you know, Zara isn't selling their stuff to JC Penny or Nordstrom or, or anything like that. Like yep. they're just, they have the Zara store. We had multiple retail stores that we were selling to. So I work under uh, SVP like the second day I'm in there. Um, I was like asking for work and the two ladies that I was under, they were amazing by the way. Um, but the two ladies that I was like helping with and working under, they were like, oh, we'll get to you. Like, this is a really busy week. And it, I was, I just got like this feeling like this is going to be the narrative for the rest of the six months. Yeah. Every week is going to be a really busy week. So I finished my work and I go in the morning. It was either the second or the third morning. I go in. I was like, hey, uh, I talked to the lady who was kind of like my supervisor, but not really. I was like, hey, can I go talk to, to the boss? And she's like, yeah, what's wrong? I was like, no, I just want to say hi to her and just like introduce myself and talk to her. And she's like, I think that that should be okay. So she like goes into her office and she's like, yeah, yeah go ahead. So I go into the, they, she had like a glass office. Yeah. And I closed, I was like, can I close the door? And the lady was like, yeah. Like, what do you need to say to me that the door can't be open? And I literally said, like an intern, but to get serious. Yeah. I sat down and I was like, look, like, I am your intern yeah. on paper. And like, I work directly under you. I don't work directly under anyone else. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to be too forward or disrespectful, but like, this is the way it is. I was like, I worked in my last co op directly under the general manager and like you know i was providing feedback to the president of the company mm -hmm. which was like mind-blowing for mm -hmm. me as a 20 year old um and i want to go where you go and do what you do like your team I, I if you know if if lady a or lady b can't you know like uh if they can't assist me with something that i need help with then I'll finish what work I have. And if you have any other work for me, I want to do that. Yeah. And if you have any meetings that you, you want to go to, like I would like to be in those meetings. I want to learn from you. I'd like to shadow you. And she was like, no intern has ever spoken to me like this before. And I was like, I, I'm not doing it out of like disrespect or like I literally, well, I work under you yeah. and therefore I want to work under you. Like mm -hmm. I don't want to be delegated to some to Bullshit. be somebody else's intern yeah like if i get my work done i don't want to be sitting around twiddling my thumbs all day like i want to be doing work i came here i got employed to do work and i'm gonna do work mm -hmm. and she was like okay all right well uh like i can take you to some meetings with me uh just ask me so i asked her for like almost a month almost every single day and she'd be like oh yeah like and then she'd like slip out like while i was doing something and then she'd like go somewhere else and finally she started bringing me to meetings and uh there was this one time that i saw something in a buyer trend and she had left work early the day before and she wasn't there that day and we had the buyer meeting the next morning so she was going to be in early and um we were going to have the buyer meeting like first thing in the morning and i wasn't going to be there because it, the buyer meeting started before I was scheduled to come into work. And the buyer meeting is obviously, say like a JC Penney's yeah, coming yeah. in to meet with just what, yeah. So I was like, hey, I need to talk to you about something. I saw something and I feel like I just need to tell you. Yeah. And she didn't text me back. And I was like, I was like getting ready to leave. And so there was a co-president because there were so many brands that we owned. 
So there was a co-president for like, you know, 50 brands. And there was another co-president for another 50 brands. Yeah. And she was the senior vice president of sales. So she was like, she was under the co-president, but she was like still same level, like C level executive. Yeah. And, uh, but the the co-president is the one who like made all of the final decisions. Like if she was like, she delegated a lot and she trusted, but like if she was like really like set on something, she was going to make the final decision and like let the senior vice president know whether or not to move forward with that. And I was like, dang, I haven't like introduced myself to her yet. Like I could just go introduce myself and say something. And I like called my boss again because she didn't respond to my text and she didn't pick up. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, what do I do? What do I do? Like, I don't want to like go behind her back yeah. because like I respect her, but like, I really, I just felt like I really needed to say this because yeah. like I saw something that was super important that I didn't want to miss or like miss my chance to say something about it. wasn't about me saying something. It was just about like, you know, taking care of our buyer. Yeah. And, uh, like last minute I was like, you know what? I don't even care. Like, I don't, I don't need to be at this job anyways. Like if I lose my job over this, so what? Yeah. Like it's not that big of a deal to me. So I'm really nervous though. And I go in, I knock on the co-president's door and I'm like, Hey, uh, I'm Nico. Like, um, I'm, uh, I'm my boss's, uh, co-op and I work with her and I think you've seen me, but like, I, I just wanted to come in and like introduce myself. And she's like, Oh, Hey, she like looks up from her from her computer for like a second she's like hey nice to meet you like she asked me like some formality questions small talk shit yeah and then she's like okay and she goes back to work and i was like (laughs) hey so uh actually like (laughs) i I wanted to like bring something up with you because uh my boss is out you know that but like you guys are gonna have the meeting before i'm here tomorrow i just noticed something so i was wondering if i could like show you real quick like it doesn't matter if you use it or not and she's like yeah sure so she's like really welcomed it my boss calls calls uh, me into her office the next morning. She like closes the door and she's like, I can't believe you would do something like that. I was like, I'm sorry. She was like, no. She was like, I, you are my intern and like, like I need to know that I can trust you. Like yeah. I can't have you going behind my back like that. And like she was super serious. And I, she's like a very, very powerful woman. Yeah. And I, I respected her a lot. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then she like looks at her computer and she's like,